Hello, everyone. Welcome to You, Me, Them, Everybody. My name is Brandon Weatherby. This episode with Robert Lorzel is uh, about sort of what he does. He is a, is, a, is a very good journalist. You've probably heard his stuff on WBEZ or uh, read his work in, in numerous publications, most likely in the Chicagoland area. And uh, you can pick up his new book. Uh, it's, a, it's a Walking Tours of Chicago book. The link to buy that book is in the podcast description. I will definitely be opening that book the next time I am in Chicago. I will not open it now because it makes me too homesick for Chicago. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a sad time. Follow him on Twitter. He's my favorite Chicago person on Twitter. Hands down, no qualifiers there. Uh, he's, he's a wonderful Twitter follow. I don't think I've ever recommended following anyone on Twitter ever before. So that is also listed in the podcast description. If you like Robert, if you like this conversation that we have, I recommend three current, not current, three very recent shows that we just did. I would recommend our interview with uh, musician Daniel Knox, uh, music critic Lior Galil, and uh, comic slash comedy writer. Comics is in like drawn, and then comedy is in like haha. Writer Daniel Kibblesmith. Um, two of those three men uh, live in Chicago. One of those men came through Chicago, came up through Chicago, and uh, there's a lot of connective tissue between those three guys and, and Robert. Without further ado, our chat with Robert Lorzel. Uh, so I'll begin with how I'm beginning pretty much everything uh, I've begun in the last five months. How are you dealing with COVID-19? Well, you know, it's it's been a strange time like it has been for everyone. Um, I, I'm a bit of an introvert and a loner, I guess. So in some ways, it was fairly easy for me to adapt to uh, working from home all the time and uh, you know, not going out to uh, uh, bars. Uh, I don't do that a whole lot anyway. But, you know, it's like a lot of people, I'm, I'm experienced this sort of cabin fever of just feeling stuck inside a lot. Um, but I'm healthy and I can't complain too much. I've managed to keep on uh, working as a freelance journalist mm -hmm. um, enough to pay the bills so far. So, uh, <laughs> you know, knock on wood, I'm doing okay financially. I know a lot of other people are uh, in more dire situations than I am. It's interesting that you say, like, oh, you're not a person that goes out a lot or whatever, but you have a brand new book and it's all about walking outside. And. You also mentioned not going to shows, and you used to run a website where it was just you documenting live music. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, um, I was going to say, what I was saying was that I don't go to bars a lot. Actually, the one reason I would go out to bars is if there's live music or some event like that. Uh, so that was a big draw for me, and obviously that has uh, that has been so different, you yeah. know. Um, a couple of people commented that I used to sort of specialize in uh, photographing concerts. Mm -hmm. And lately, the photos that I post on Twitter or Instagram or whatever tend to be uh, birds or <laughs> butterflies yeah. or things that I see when I'm walking around. Um, so I've kind of shifted, I guess, uh, my attention. Although, you know, those things interested me before. Are you currently happy? Um. Yes and no. I mean, I think personally I'm fairly happy with what I'm doing in my life, but uh, I mean, the world is so messed oh, up. Oh, sure, right sure, now. sure. But and it's hard. It, it's hard to, it's hard to feel your personal happiness 
it's, it's hard to feel totally content with your personal situation when you see what is going on in the world. So you have a soul so, is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> you have a conscious and a soul. Um, maybe I should phrase it this way. You seem to be, your output doesn't seem to have been diminished or necessarily increased since the coronavirus. And I think that's pretty rare. And what you're doing isn't sad or reflective of the moment. It's just a, it's a natural I mean, I, I'm assuming the book was planned to be published a lot earlier than the global pandemic uh, kicking into full yes, effect. Yes, It's just a very yeah. good timing, you know what I mean, uh, in, a, in a weird way. And uh, it seems that you're dealing with this as well as one could be without living in denial. Yeah, I hope so. Um, ironically, my uh, New Year's resolution this year was to... Uh, spend more time hanging out with friends. <laughs> and I kind of thought, you know, there's all these cool people I know, uh, ranging from close friends to, you know, acquaintances that I don't know too well, but I think are interesting. And why don't I spend more time? Like, I, I just, I was not in the habit of like having lunch with people or yeah. like, you know, like, Hey, let's get together for coffee or something. Like that. So that was my goal. It's like, you know, I should meet these people more often and, you know, we can just have chats, yeah. you know, and, and this, Totally screwed up that resolution. Um, I know. I, I keep hearing people talk about how they they like to do uh, Zoom sessions with friends and th- and you know hang out on Facebook. And I have not really done that very much. So I I, I worry that I'm uh, neglecting my friends a bit by by not uh, you know I, I I exchange tweets with people yeah. or <laughs> comment on their Facebook posts. But you know I haven't been meeting with people. You know. I I suppose you could uh, get together with some people and we all wear our masks and yeah. socially distance, but uh, it just feels so weird. You live in Uptown, is that correct? That's right. Okay. Uh, for those that don't know, Uptown is not... Uptown's an interesting neighborhood in Chicago. It's one of the most interesting neighborhoods. Um, it's got a horrible reputation from a lot of people that have never been there, and a lot of people that have lived there love it, and it's almost unlike any other neighborhood in Chicago. It's um, There's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of problems with Uptown and those problems that existed since pretty much the f- foundation of Uptown, uh, definitely since you've been in Uptown. And um, there's a ton of music venues. We'll get to that in a minute. But Uptown is this weird thing where, like, you're most likely in a very condensed neighborhood, but the lake is right there. So the idea of having outdoor space is super, super close, but you're block to block. You're like, you're on top of each other. It's very New York. It's very, like, Upper West Side or something like that. Is that fair? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, I wouldn't say it's exactly like New York, but if you try to figure out like which, which, uh, which Chicago neighborhoods are most like New York, <laughs> I mean, maybe, yeah. up, maybe Uptown might rank up there. So um, the reason I'm, I'm painting the Uptown is like a, a, this certain picture is because you don't have to be where you are. Is there anywhere else in the country you wish you were living through a global pandemic? You know, I, I heard you. Uh, I heard your recent uh, this, a conversation with Daniel Knox, who yes. I know, and and uh, I always enjoy his work. And I know you. Uh, I think you asked him the same question. Oh yeah, I'm super fascinated by this because I'm in Washington D.C. and for the first, I don't know, three months of this thing, uh, my co-host in D.C. and I would talk about how we did not want to be living in Washington D.C. We want to be out of the country for safety reasons. She's a black woman. I'm a white man, and since the uh, murder of George Floyd and the and the protests 
I'd feel like a real bad person to leave the United States right now, even though my reasons for wanting to leave have nothing to do with social unrest and everything to do with survival. Yeah. I so can if, sympathize. that's where I I'm coming at. And that's why I'm yeah. asking every single person that I, I know or don't know, because I want to know what you think you chose to live where you live because in, in theory you love where you live. But if, if the things that you love don't exist where you live, why are you there? Yeah, that's a big concern. Um, I'm one of these proponents of living in Chicago. I, I hate to sound too much like uh, a local person who just talks about how great their home city is. Because um, I like a lot of other places that I visited. And I can imagine living somewhere else. But it, it just is convenient for me here. I know people here. I'm established here. And then on top of all that, to me, Chicago has this great mix of live music. Um, I love going out to see movies in the theater in particular, like weird art movies that you will only see at a place like the Gene Siskel film center or the music box. I like going out to theater and Chicago has as many theaters as New York city, arguably, Mm -hmm. um, or at least the different theater companies and, if you look at the number of plays that are being produced in any year by all the small companies, it's really hard to beat. Um, so if you think about all those things together, plus just, you know, the history and the architecture and the vibe of the city and the lake, um, it's hard for me to picture or to choose another city or town or place that will give me as much enjoyment and as much things to do. Um, uh, but during this pandemic, you know, that has taken away some of the reasons why I like being here. I hope all those things come back. But I'm, I mean, I'm really worried about our economy in general mm-hmm. and what's going to happen with all the live music venues. Uh, I mean, first, we have to beat this disease and, you know, save the lives of people who could be endangered by it. Hopefully the disease goes away or gets under control and the economy starts to pick back up. And when that happens, will the live music venues that I love still be there or will they, what about the, uh, all the local restaurants? Will they fall away and be replaced by the kind of more generic chain stores and restaurants? You know, that's the thing. Like when I go, when when I travel around the country and and go to, there are certain mid-sized cities where you, you, know, you pull into a town of 50,000, 100,000 people somewhere in the middle of the Midwest, and you see that stretch of uh, Target store, yeah. and there's a Denny's restaurant, and then there's a Panera Bread, and all those places are fine. I shop and eat at those places. But if that's all you have in your town, um, you've really got something missing. When you drive up and down some of the main streets in Chicago, you see one after another along all these blocks, you can see dozens and dozens of local shops and restaurants that you've never heard of before, that mm-hmm. they're not part of any national chain. Some of them may not even be worth your time, but you know, there's just so much to choose from and the variety of it. And the fact that you're su- supporting uh, local merchants who are, you know, selling their own products. It's really great, you know, and, and it's, that's part of the vitality of, of why I like the city and I'm really worried about the the effects of the pandemic, how much of that is going to go away. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping we survive and, and the city continues to thrive, but but I am worried. 
I'm not trying to bum you out. I promise. Uh, I adore following you on Twitter and you are one of the people that makes me homesick more than anyone else. I've been gone from Chicago for almost 10 years at this point and I didn't think I'd ever leave and I, I miss it dearly. And I probably will. I still identify as a Chicagoan, even though it's been a very long time. And when did you identify as a Chicagoan? Because unlike me, you did not grow up there. You probably have a much healthier outlook of the city of Chicago and a much fairer outlook of the city than I do. Well, I, <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but, you know, when people people like to ask the question, where are you from mm-hmm. or are you from Chicago? And that the, that phrase has always struck me as one where it's hard to answer. Like, you know, what does it mean exactly? Does it mean you live there now? Does it mean you were born there? Uh, in my case, I was born in Anchorage, Alaska. Uh, however, I feel like I get a bit of an asterisk because both of my parents were native Chicagoans yeah. who were living in Anchorage when I was born there. Um, and I had relatives, you know, my grandma and my uncle lived in Chicago at that point. So we had, you know, I visited Chicago and then we moved to Illinois when I was nine years old and we ended up living in a small town in central Illinois, about a hundred miles South of Chicago, a town called Onarga, which is place few people have heard of unless you've seen the exit sign on Route 57 when you're driving between Kankakee and Champaign. It's probably like the only reason you might have heard of it, Uh, which was a much different place in Chicago, but it was still kind of within the orbit of Chicago. Like we got the Chicago TV station. Oh, cool. And we would, you know, and we would travel up to Chicago on weekends to go shopping. Uh, We we would go shopping in Lincoln Mall in the south suburbs. That's great. you know, and, and for a while, my, when my grandma was still living in, in Chicago, we would visit her on the west side. So I felt some connections to the city. I, I would not have called myself a Chicagoan at that point. You know, people would have <laughs> mocked me oh, yeah. if I said I was from Chicago. But, you know, I felt the influence of the, of the, of the city on me. And then um, I went to U of I in Urbana-Champaign, and I moved to the Chicago area after college, I've lived in the suburbs. I've lived in the city. I've been in in uh, Uptown for about fourteen years now. Because you were, were you, so you moved to Uptown when you were still at Pioneer Press. I used to work for Pioneer Press, which was a uh, which is a weekly uh, chain of it's a chain of weekly suburban newspapers. Yeah, and so most of the time when I was working for for um, Pioneer Press, I lived out in the suburbs. In 2006, the company offered uh, buyouts as they, were, okay. as they were, you know, cutting staff as the newspaper industry keeps doing. Mm-hmm. And so I had this opportunity to get about a year's worth of, of salary and health insurance <laughs> to leave the company. Yeah. And it was just too good of an offer to resist. So that was the point at which I became a freelancer and, um, moved to the city shortly after that i figured i've got a little bit of money here that that'll pay for moving costs yeah <laughs> so when, I, when you were at pioneer press was that were you out of the oak park office no um i worked in the barrington office for okay many many years and then the last few years i was there I was in the glenview office okay so you have a very good uh geographical footprint of the greater uh chicagoland area then 
Yeah, pretty good. There's still some pockets, you know, like I never really wrote very much about the South suburbs, for example. Okay. I mean, I, I, I know a little bit about different parts of them, but there are some pockets of suburbia that are, you know, totally foreign to me. But uh, I have some idea of what the, you know, I'm pretty knowledgeable about the North Shore and the area, the, the Northwest suburbs sure. up by Barrington and Palatine and places like that. So if you're if you're covering this area for at this point when the buyouts come for almost two decades, why uptown? You know, uh, my brother lives down the block from here. Well, there you go. That's and, a very good reason. And, <laughs> and uh, I visited him. I kind of liked the area um, when I was apartment hunting. As I don't know if, how much apartment hunting you did in Chicago, but a ton. Uh, yeah. So, you know, when you go to some place like the uh, the apartment people where they a finding service where they help you find an apartment, you know, they're steering you t- to certain places. And I kind of discovered it's like most of these places are outside of my price range. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, but my brother says, oh, hey, there's a apartment building down the block for me where they, they got apartments for rent there. And it was like a reasonable, you know, reasonable rent. And I kind of heard about it by word of mouth rather than through any ads. And I like the place. So. <laughs> Why not? And you've been in the same spot. Yes. <clears throat> That's impressive. Why is it impressive? Uh, Wanderlust, uh, living in Uptown that long. That's impressive. Well, I'm kind of lazy, I guess. And, and uh, the idea of moving, I'm a person who has a lot of stuff. Okay. So moving is a real pain in the ass. And frankly, if I had to move again, I think I'd have to probably spend six months figuring out, okay, like which of these books am I going to get rid of and which pieces of furniture should I give away before I, you know, put them in a truck. And uh, just the idea of going through that whole ordeal uh, is tiring. (laughs) I think I lived in like six different neighborhoods in six years before. Uh, my girlfriend and I found the place that we lived in until we moved to DC. And yeah. one of the things that made it really easy to move every time was uh, every single place that we ever lived in got broken into. So oh, we had boy. fewer and fewer <laughs> things every single time we moved. So that by the time we had to actually leave, it was a breeze. Wow. <laughs> but also outdated technology has changed everything. Like we gave away, we used to DJ every month at Delilah's and liars club and a bunch of other places that only playing music from Chicago. Right. So our record collection was massive and we got rid of like, I'd say 80% of it, just gave it to a friend. Same with the book collection. And that alone made it easy because by the time we move, DVDs are on their way out. CDs have already been non-existent. I've already sold everything to Reckless at this point. Yeah. That made it very easy to move. Yeah. You know, I've hung on to all sorts of things where, you know, I wonder like, why do I have this CD if it's something I can stream? And sometimes that I sometimes I want the packaging or whatever for my collection, but there's a lot of you know I've oh, got sure. a lot of I've got a lot of CDs that I, I I got for free as you know from a publicist twenty years ago, and I've listened to it three times since then. So yeah. like, really, why is it taking up space on my shelf? Maybe the better question is, when's the last time you bought a CD? Oh boy, um, I think I bought a couple last year. Okay. Did you buy them in a store or at a show? Um, I bought some at a show. Okay. Did that artist have anything other anything else to buy? Um, 
I think this. I think the last CDs. I, the, there was a show I saw late last year at the Empty Bottle by Thurston Moore. Okay. Sonic Sonic Youth, and he had a. Um, he came out with a like three CD album of you know instrumental music or whatever. So I bought that when I was there. I'm surprised and I think, that. It... And, and I, I think it was. I think it was only available in CD format. That's Either surprising that or, to me because that's. That... He, he, Go. Either that or the vinyl was like so expensive that oh, I was sure. like, forget it, I'll just get the CDs. I'm just convinced that I'm not convinced. I'm surprised that he didn't do like a tape only release because that guy was championing <laughs> tapes, yeah. like way before the tape movement had a had a movement. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not trying to typecast you in any way, but did everyone else at the Thurston Moore show at the Empty Bottle in late 2019 look exactly like you? Um. No, I wouldn't say that, but uh, <laughs> I see what you're getting at. I'm sure yeah. it's, you know, the audience is probably skewed towards the uh, middle-aged uh, indie rock fans of your. <laughs> you, uh, you make me feel good. That's a weird thing to say. I've never met you in person, but I follow you and your existence on Twitter, your writings uh, for multiple publications and a lot of your WBZ appearances, specifically Curious City, make me feel good and positive about the world and make me feel very, very homesick. Do you find that people feel like they know you because of the social media, because of the writing, because of the audio? I'm, I'm, this is mostly a Twitter question, but do you feel like Twitter makes people think that they know you? Yeah, it sort of does. I mean, not everyone, obviously, but... Um... There are there are some people that I communicate a lot with via tweets whom I've never met in person, and uh, I mean, there's something about the way you engage someone and the way the conversation goes back and forth online, where mm-hmm. um, at least I sort of sense like this person seems like they're worth talking to. <laughs> like they may not be like, I don't even know what their credentials are, but mm-hmm. you know, their opinions or their take on things or just their reaction to things is kind of cool and seems worth engaging. And sometimes these people might be people I disagree with on certain issues, but I'm like, Oh, I want to hear what this person has to say about this. And uh, I feel like I'm not engaging obviously with a bot, sure. <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, I, I, and I, I, I have had the weird uh, situation of, of walking around Chicago or uh, being in a music venue or someplace and someone recognizing me from Twitter and they'll just say hi. And sometimes they won't say who they are. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, uh, yeah. who are you? Who are you? Um, and generally they're like, oh, I just follow you on Twitter. I like your tweets. I'm like, oh, that's nice. So you don't um, worry about, okay, you're a rare breed when it comes to this platform because you're still using it what it being Twitter, you're still using it like how the forefathers intended. You're having conversations with friends. You're you're exposing people to really uh, cool tidbits about uh, maybe a block they've never been on, or the storm just happened. Like t- I think it was today. You were like, check out this really uh, drastic photo from the cemetery because of the storm from this week. Like that yeah, kind of yeah. stuff. It's not reactionary. It's not very quippy. It's not mean and. Seemingly, and I, cl- I understand that we all curate our own timelines, but I want to. S- I think it's fair to say Twitter's gotten a lot meaner since the foundation of Twitter. But you're not falling down those rabbit holes. 
Um, I guess not. I mean, I get drawn into some of those political debate that's raging in our country these days. I try not to, I try not to let it consume me. And once in a while I get into some sort of spat with someone on Twitter. Um, I try not to block or mute a lot of people, but sometimes there's just someone where it's like, okay, it's kind of, I'm feeling the need to respond and I'm thinking like, why am I even responding to this person? Yeah. And I don't know that. And I don't know that like at that point, do you need to block the person or mute them? Or is it just okay to like, just put it out of your mind? But you know, it, it does sort of consume you sometimes if, if I feel someone is mischaracterizing some, some, especially something involving the national news, you know, mm-hmm. um, but I think for, I mean, and I do worry, you know, I'm fairly public on Twitter, so who knows? I mean, I could get, you see people who get in the middle of some huge controversy and then you've got people threatening them and, you know, making their, ruining, trying to ruin their life. And exactly. That hasn't happened to me yet, but, uh, you know, I, I, I do, I do fear that happening sometimes. Um, and that probably, causes me to stay away from certain topics or, 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 you know, not go all in on like a huge discussion about something that I think is going to just uh, be a political firestorm. Yeah. You went uh, straight from college to journalism in a time where social media didn't exist. Do you think you would have been a journalist if all the tools that exist now existed then? Say that again. So, would I have been a journalist? Yeah, would you have gone into journalism if uh, everything, all the technology that we have now and the tools within the technology existed when you got out of college? You know, I'm not sure. Um, just to kind of give you an idea of why I went into journalism, um, I mean, I was sort of struggling to figure out what to do when I went to college. I, I had an undeclared major when I started in uh, liberal arts and sciences. I was really good at uh, science and math uh, when I was in high school. So a lot of people expected me to go into engineering or physics or something like that. And I mean, I guess I could have done okay at that, but a couple of those like chemistry 101 at the U of I, I was like, Mm -hmm. man, I like trying to figure out the, the, all the molecules and stuff like that. Like, I think I may have gotten an A or at least like a, high B in the class, but it just was, I found it tedious. Sure. Um, I always enjoyed writing. I enjoyed like graphic design and things like that. So it just kind of struck me that journalism would be a field where I could use some of those skills. I was not driven by, you know, I wasn't one of you hear about people who became journalists because they were inspired by all the president's men and they Mm -hmm. wanted to like, you know, expose, uh, corruption in politics or something like that. Uh, none of that was really like a big inspiration for me when I started. Uh, was Ebert an inspiration? Yeah. You know, not Ebert specifically, but the Siskel and Ebert show in its various incarnations was um, a big influence on me because as I said, I lived down in this small town in the middle of cornfields and soybean fields, a long way from any movie theaters that were showing anything interesting. But I started to watch uh, 
I think the original show was called Sneak Previews on Channel 11. And that, and seeing Ebert and uh, Gene Siskel really got me interested in discovering more unusual movies. I mean, they reviewed mainstream stuff, but they would often include one movie on their show that was something like, you know, My Dinner with Andre mm -hmm. or <laughs> some uh, – uh, Berlin Alexander plots. I'm like, Oh, what, what the hell is this? You know? And so that got me really intrigued about that kind of thing. So by the time I got to college, I, you know, I, when I started majoring in journalism, I thought about becoming a film critic and I did, I did some of that. But as I got out of college, I realized, you know, getting a job as a film critic is not an easy thing to no, do. It's, not. It's, 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 it's kind of a dream job for a very small group of people. Uh, you can freelance that, and now everyone does, you know, like film reviews on Letterboxd or whatever. And I, I feel like I'm not even keeping up with uh, the uh, 50 million amateurs out there sure. who are doing it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, all that, all that sort of stuff did inspire me. You've been a freelance journalist for quite a long time now, and that's to me very impressive. <laughs> um, I had a, I've no, I'm not editing a. Uh, anything for the first time in a very long time. I haven't been freelance since early 2011, but now due to the global pandemic, I am very much freelance and I want to know how you, how the transition was for you. You didn't have like a golden parachute here. There's no such thing as a golden parachute when it comes to like pioneer press, but um, you did, you did have sort of a cushion, sort of a, a runway yeah. to lead into was there ever any thoughts of like, I got to just get a job at any sort of company that gives me a 401k or were you always dead set on journalism? Um, I've been pretty dead set on journalism. I mean, <laughs> maybe to my detriment, uh, I, it helps that I have sort of low overhead in that, you know, I have reasonably cheap rent and I don't have a, I don't have to worry about expenses for, uh, children going to college. Uh, I have an old car that's kind of beat up, but is paid for. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't have student loans to pay off. So I'm lucky in a lot of ways that I don't need a ton of money. Um, but I do like in hindsight, I probably could have made better use of that year salary that I got. <laughs> and I kind of probably could have stretched it out a little bit more than I did, you know, I mean, basically, like a year later, um, I was starting to run low on money. I was making money as a freelancer, but mm -hmm. you know, it, it took me a while to kind of get into the groove of figuring out how to how to cover my expenses and make a living. But you you clearly have a groove at this point. Yeah, I guess you know. I is it a groove or is it a rut? It's something. <laughs> um, I'm lucky in that I have a couple of regular gigs. Uh, I freelance as a copy editor for Chicago Magazine and as a copy editor for the Chicago Tribune, working there a couple of days a week. And those are both gigs where I do not have to put out a story pitch for it. So mm -hmm. it's really just kind of falling in my lap every every month that I've got that amount of work. And then trying to fill in the uh, rest of my time with projects that I like and the uh, I mean, my my ideal existence really is to use a lot of that other time to work on writing books, yeah. and which really don't pay very much. And I've got, in addition to the uh, Walking Chicago book that just came out, I have another book that I've been working on for what is it now, like seventeen years? 
<laughs> and the manuscript. The Bible? I mean, what are you working on? It's it sort of is. It feels like I'm writing a, a War and Peace or something, you know. Um, basically, I published one book in 2003 called Alchemy of Bones, which is a historical true crime book set in Chicago. And I've been working on a similar book ever since. And I, I think I'm a disciplined researcher and writer, but I get drawn into all these tangents. And, you know, in, in, in trying to tell the story of some crimes that happened in Chicago at the turn of the 20th century, I realized that I need to learn more about Chicago in that era. And so I sort of end up educating myself and researching and then writing stuff where it feels like I'm writing the whole history of Chicago. So this explains a lot of your other pieces that, okay. And and actually there are a bunch of the stories you've seen me write over the years are things that have sprung out of this project. Um, And I still have a lot of, you know, I've got a list of like a hundred different things where I could like, why don't I take that little tidbit from my book in progress and turn it into a podcast Mm -hmm. or a magazine story or another book. Now I just want to hit, uh, I want to hit stop recording so I could talk to you about my ideas for very similar stuff to make sure that there's no crossover. (laughs) And also I, I feel like if I say it out loud, I'll jinx myself. Does that make sense? Yeah, you know, there have been a couple of times over the years when I've told people the specific topic I'm writing about, but I it's it's I think right now it's a bad idea for me to um talk about it publicly. Totally. Uh, I completely understand. And, I won't I'm I'm good. I'm not asking. And, but it does also like I chat with people here and there questions about research and things like that. But I do kind of feel like I've been working in isolation for 17 years on a project that I'm dying to tell everyone yeah, about. But yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like, like uh, when am I going to get to the point when I can actually present this to someone? Are you seeing the world through the lens of whatever that subject is? Yeah. I mean, I can say that without getting into a lot of detail about it, you know, I'm, I'm researching crime and police and social movements and – just you know could i give you could i give you one chicago itself yeah hurry up (laughs) the time is now yeah so i mean every like right now with the uh the writing or however you want to characterize it you know protests and police response to protests um I mean, a lot of this stuff happened back in the 1870s and 1880s and Mm -hmm. 1890s it was different obviously i mean they're different issues driving people like back then the labor movement was a was a big part of it i have an idea of what you're talking about right and chicago didn't have that that large of a black population in the 1800s so the the protests involving race issues did not come up until later but but you had you basically had a lot of situations where the police would go in and use their batons to just like batter the heads of peaceful protesters who have been gathered. And then guess what happens? The peaceful protesters start fighting back. Yeah. And next thing you know, it's like violent riots. And you also like one thing that has struck me lately was that you, you read about a lot of these cases and the police and the city officials back in the 1800s would say that, you know, we had these uh, labor protesters coming out, but then there were all these other hooligans who showed up. And they were just like young guys who were troublemakers who wanted to loot. 
Yep. And they were not necessarily connected with the labor people, but they showed up and then the whole thing ended up being a big melee. It's like, oh, all this sounds very familiar. <laughs> so yes, a lot of this is timely and I would like to get my book the hell out. Uh. <laughs> um, let's, uh, let's end with one, um, one thing from the new book, uh, walking tours. Um, what is one of the more your, your Chicago magazine piece? I know it's not. They wrote about you and wrote the book. If if right. people aren't familiar about anything that we're talking about, I think that's a great starter. Um, but if if there's any one specific neighborhood in or around Chicago that, uh, well, writing this book, you were just pleasantly surprised by, and you think might cheer people up in a in a time where socially distanced everything is mandatory, uh, where is that neighborhood or or tour? Uh, it's kind of tough to choose, but, um, I really enjoyed going down to the Southeast side of Chicago. Uh, some people don't even realize that there is a Southeast side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's arguably part of the South side, but you know, it's basically that corner, that corner of Chicago that's right next to the Indiana state line. Mm-hmm. I included a walk around Wolf Lake, which is, uh, a lake that straddles, the state line there and there's a beautiful um forest preserve around there but like a lot of that area is sort of a odd almost surreal juxtaposition of nature and industry so you see these you know factories across the state line indiana um i was walking down the lake when this eerie uh siren starts going off it sounded like uh one of the local factories was about to explode or something as i'm walking along i'm watching these uh, beautiful swans <laughs> in the water there and listening to the frogs singing in the marsh um and that's just one of several parks down in that part of the city when all the social distancing was happening um because of the COVID 19 pandemic um I tried to find some parts of the city where I could walk around without a lot of other people mm-hmm. uh, crowding onto the, to the walking trails and that sort of thing. And there are several parks down there. There's a place called big marsh. Uh, there's another place called Hegwish marsh. And uh, you know, I went walking around in those places and there was barely anyone else there for a couple hours as I was walking around looking at birds and wow. enjoying, enjoying the nature. And it doesn't even really feel like you're in the city um, but if you look off in the distance, you can see, you know, like, oh, there's the Ford uh, Motor Factory yeah. over there on the on the horizon. Um, that is a perfect pick because it's literally <laughs> like the lake itself ha- is in half in Indiana and half in Illinois. And yeah, and and, and you're if you're if you're going by car or bike, you're not too far away from um, Calumet Fisheries, the uh, little uh, restaurant that's. Uh, real classic old Chicago place serving smoked fish. And it's right along the, uh, it's right next to the bridge that is famously in the movie, the blues brothers mm-hmm. where uh, Jake, Jake and L would drive over the, <laughs> the bridges is going up and like miraculously their car flies over the, the, the uh, Calumet river there. Uh, uh, this show is named after the blues brothers because <laughs> for the longest time I have also been against all forms of Nazis. It's not complicated, people. Also, similar to the Blues Brothers, not a big fan of the cops, but you just got to do what you got to do to help the kids, even though you don't agree with the Catholic Church in any way. It's it's the best we could do. We're trying here, people. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Brandon.